0: Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org. And so I've come today with a very heavy message, Um, and so... If you've thought I've been energetic, I'm probably going to go to some other kind of level today, so just bear with me. That couch uh, might even get stood on or jumped over, Um, and and it's not that I even have a message that seems to be exciting, but for 30 minutes, uh, give or take. Man, I want to just journey with with you guys. I want us to just get in the vehicle and go. It's kind of like being at Kings Island. Um, if you're a roller coaster enthusiast, I know Sandra, my my, my roller coaster compadre is not here. Uh, Sandra Ford, she loves her a good roller coaster. Um, actually, she will fist fight you if you even try to get her on like the kiddie rides. Um, she starts speaking in tongues and just you know she gets all spiritual. Um, so, but it's like it's like you're getting ready to ride the Diamondback and you stand in line for an hour, an hour and a half, and you see it and you're like, oh, that's impressive, and I can't. To to get there, and you finally kind of get through the turnstiles, and all of a sudden you're you're entered into like the little cattle gates, and you know it's your turn, and and it's pulling up, and you're like, let's get real, and you kind of feel the whoo, you know, can't back out now. I can't be a poser, I can't be a chicken. So you've talked yourself up big. Um, like me, I'm scared to death of heights. I really am. I mean, I'm more scared to death of falling, but I'm scared to death of heights. And and you you finally you, you can't chicken out. You can't. So you just kind of get herded into the seat. Of course, it's the Diamondback, and it's that dumb coaster that doesn't have any rails. You just—it's like you're on patio chairs on a platform, and you know you just look over the side, and you're like, you know, I got this, and they, they you know, you're praying. That the people that, that check your harness and things, that they are just full of the Spirit of the Lord. That that they prayed that morning and they come because I swear they just go by and they're just like, you know, oh, it's good, it's good. And you're just like, you know, you're hitting against it. And you're, you know, I pull it so tight, you know, just like just you know, I'm not going anywhere. And all of a sudden it leaves the station and you realize this is happening. This is about to go down, and you start to go up the hill, and you get that exhilaration. You get that feeling. That's what I feel like today, that we're just kind of like getting ready to leave the station. And so let's do that together because uh, I've come to confront um, a spirit. I've come to confront an issue um, that we all have confronted and have to confront in our own lives, and, and it's fear. And fear is real, and it's tangible. You can put your finger on it. It has a causation in our lives uh, as Christ followers that is tangible and it's real and it's a spirit from the enemy that is set to destroy us, to hold us back, to keep us from being what God has called us to be. The thing is I studied fear and as I begin to examine my own lives and, and all of the um, counseling and all of the years of ministry and, and kind of looking inward and outwardly, I realized, and when you study, that, that fear takes on many forms. And it takes on the forms of anger and jealousy and unforgiveness, shame, hatred, rebelliousness, selfishness. They have one core, fear. Many of those things seem to be emotions. The Bible says, uh, you know, be angry and sin not. There there are emotions that aren't wrong in in themselves. But none of these things get the label that the Word of God puts on fear. Because in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, the Bible says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we know that fear by the Word of God is labeled as a spirit. And spirits only come from two places. There's only two to choose from. And the Bible, God pulls himself out of that word and says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. It is a spirit. that is set against the church. It is set against families. It is set and set against people to cause us to be less uh, than God wants us to be. Because He's living on the inside of you and I. He is roaring like a lion. He is an amazing God. He has filled us with His Spirit. He has expectations of us as believers that we should be those who turn our world, the Bible says in the book of Acts, upside down. We should not be, thermo- we shouldn't be thermometers that just simply gauge the temperature of our culture, but I want to be a thermostat. I want to be able to walk into a room. I want to be able to walk into a hospital room, not of my own accord, nothing good that I've done, but knowing that a God that lives in me is good enough and amazing enough that I can walk in and declare the good news of a risen Savior, that I can step in to a situation that is hopeless and speak hope off the Word of God. I know that my God wants to use us like that. He desires that we become willing vessels, that we become jars of clay. The Bible talks about that potter's wheel. And there are so many times that we want the mars and we want the flaws extracted from our lives, but if you've ever watched the process of clay get worked by loving hands, strong hands of someone who works clay, there is uh, a lot of pressure applied. And that wheel has to have revolutions. That wheel spins so fast. Uh, how many times in our lives uh, has it felt like we're spinning out of control? That events uh, circulate around us that, that we cannot control, that we see manipulated, because sometimes our prayers get answered in ways that we don't process. Because when you say, God, work on me, God, there are flaws that I recognize, and I give you permission to come and search me, O Lord. Know if there are any wickedness in me. He'll often set us on that potter's wheel, and he'll begin to work, and he'll begin to apply pressure, because he knows there are fatal flaws that on down the road can cause us... Great harm can cause us great damage, but the pressure and the spinning can become problematic. And fear is always lurking. And the Bible tells us that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of love, peace, and of a sound mind. John 10 and 10 tells us that the enemy of our soul comes with an intent to steal destroy and to kill and the greatest tactic that the enemy uses against you and I is fear fear doesn't want to be talked about fear manifests itself in so many different other avenues we don't even recognize that it's fear we think that the jealousy or the anger or the issues that we have in our lives that we're frustrated on why there doesn't seem to be that breakthrough why when I pray it seems as if I'm hitting a brick wall why do I have to go home to the family that I have to go home to why was I born in the situation that I was born in why is my ministry seemingly ineffective and I'm not going anywhere with where God has called me why is my marriage falling apart right before my eyes why God have you brought death into my life God why have you brought all of the circumstances, and fear is always lurking in many different manifestations, but it comes back to a spirit of fear, and it's crippling, and it's binding, and I've come today to speak boldly against fear, and to tell us that by the end, by the time that we get over that hill, on that roller coaster ride of faith together, that we will expose it, deal with it, and somebody, and a lot of people can walk out today and recognize that in their life, uh, there's been fear at work, and no more. And no more. Because God has a vision and a plan for every family, for every believer, because every believer can minister. Every believer should be finding other people to bring to Jesus. Uh, We should be his ambassadors, his disciples. Uh, He has sent us and equipped us. And I want to be all that I can be for the Lord God. And so let's journey, if you will. Are we good? Are we good? let's do this. See the cause for fear is this: the the Bible devotes many scriptures uh, devoted to fear, matter of fact, talking about fear and the antithesis of fear that we'll get to in just a minute is one of the most spoken topics in the New Testament. But see, leave it to a good, good father to declare and to expose tricks and traps of the enemy and not just expose, but understand how we can insulate ourselves, understand how we can live with an open hand, like Ryan said, where I'm not fearful of giving, where I'm not fearful of committing to a relationship, where I'm not fearful of following Jesus with all of my guts because I'm kind of afraid where he might take me. Mm. 1 John 4 and 18 says, and this is so good, there is no fear in love. Turn to somebody, look look them dead in the eyes, I mean just like, and just say there's no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, that word perfect means complete, mature love, drives out all fear, because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears cannot be made perfect or complete or whole in love. There is no fear in love in love, but we love to sing about, we love to preach about a God who is love, but the Bible says that if you're going to love like Jesus loved, there's not fear present. That means if fear is in my life, uh, if I'm in a place right now where I'm fearful of the next step, if I'm fearful of a severed relationship, if I'm a parent sitting here and I'm fearful because I have a a child that seems to be away from God and instead of doing what I know the Bible commands me to do and standing on faith uh, and the word of God and how it tells me to pray and how it tells me to believe, all of a sudden instead of being active in my faith, fear enters in and there is no love in fear. Fear is not a part of love. And all of a sudden, I stop praying and I start becoming fearful. All of a sudden, I begin to worry and stress instead of declaring God's word over my family and over my life. Fear is a crippler and fear will bind you. See, here we, we see that in order to love deeply, we can't be bound by it. That's why marriages and relationships are prime breeding grounds for fear. But rarely in a marriage do we ever associate problems and stresses in that marriage with the word fear. See, it manifests itself in many different other forms. Fear says, I'm not going to be hurt again. Fear says, you did some things in my past Or things have been done to me in my past, nobody's ever going to hurt me like that again. Fear says nobody's ever going to know the deepest and most intimate places that are required for true relationships to occur. Whether it be with a spouse, whether it be in a small group, or whether it be between me and my Savior. When we have to have those most deep, intimate moments, fear says I'm not going to expose myself because the last time I got exposed, I got hurt. And all of a sudden, hurt and resentment have a core spirit at them, and it's fear. Fear says nobody ever damages me again. Fear says nobody ever abuses me again. Fear says nobody ever walks into my life again and talks to me that way or looks at me that way, whether it be from childhood, whether it be from being a young adult, whether it be from being a victim of a crime or, or some abuse. Uh, fear wraps itself around us and says never again do I become vulnerable. But see, vulnerability is the key for relationships. Being open and being exposed to somebody is a key to getting to know and to become intimate with people. But we become a society insulated. We become a closed-fisted society that says nothing pours out of me and nothing pours into me unless I choose to do that. And fear holds us in a pew. It holds us in a marriage. It holds us in a relationship with a loving God. And we become bound by that and eventually we just settle with it. And the devil is more than happy to just have you settle for less and not be what God called you to be. See, the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Fear is always used to bring about that end. The parallel between fear and fright, because we use them interchangeably, the English language is not a very pretty language. Um, It's not like Greek. It's not very pictorial. uh, It's pretty bland Actually, we use words often interchangeably that really have incredible differences. And so we use the word fright and fear interchangeably. Being frightened of something is probably a good thing. You should be frightened of a lot of things. Uh, you drop a black widow on my car seat, I'm parking it, setting fire to my Prius and walking away. And I'll just, we'll figure out, we'll take an Uber, we'll take a transit bus, doesn't matter. It, I'm frightened of a lot of things. I'm frightened of my wife when she gets riled up. I'm, I'm, and that's a healthy, <laughs> that's a healthy fright. Fright is an emotion. Fright is is something that God has given us to to keep ourselves safe. Fear was never given to us by God. Fear was never intended for us to have in our life, because there is no fear in love. The fear that cripples and binds you and keeps you from being what God wants you to be was never given to you by God. Fright, have at it. You should be frightened of a timber rattler. Some people aren't. You should be fired. Every time I go down or the couple times that I've been to my mom's place, everything in Florida tries to kill you. That's... As a general rule in Florida, if it's an animal, it wants to kill you, and it probably bites and stings and is venomous. They're ants. They're bugs. They're gators. They're birds. They, she has creepy birds that sit in the tree, and I know they want to peck my eyes out, and they just stare at you. She said it was a duck. I didn't believe it. It's just like a creepy duck, and I know it wants to bring my destruction. Florida is just vicious, and now they've got anacondas running around because somebody flushed one down the toilet. You've seen the movie, and now, you know, these pythons run around to eat everything. They eat the gators and the gators eat. And everything is just like, you know, on pins and needles. So that's probably a healthy fear. I I want my mom to be fearful of a a crocodile. I want her to, to have a healthy fright of that. It's like joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Some of you came today happy. Some of you didn't. doesn't really matter. It's an emotion. It comes and goes. God made us emotional creatures. I'm not too upset if I'm not happy. It happens. Joy, the Bible says, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy, the world can't process. See, the the world can't process things of God as Christians live them. Uh, The perfect example was when my dad passed away. And I kept telling people, it's the easiest funeral that I ever preached. It was the easiest funeral that I ever preached. I was not happy at any level that my dad, that was my best friend, that was my fishing buddy. He was gone. I was sad. There was a time to weep and a time to mourn. But I'll tell you what, I had joy. Why? Because I knew that my dad had run his race. I knew that God had called my dad home, and he was in a better place, and he's dancing on streets of gold, and someday we'll be reunited in the loving arms of a Savior. So in the middle of my worst sadness, in the middle of my worst pain, I still had joy, and it sustained me. The world can't process that. Happiness comes and goes, but joy, a fruit of the spirit, never was intended to come and go. My joy isn't for sale. My peace isn't for sale. And so we see fear and fright. Uh, fear goes deeper. It's a spirit that manifests itself, cowering, timidity, shaking. See if every time fear showed up in your marriage, your walk with God as a, as a teenager. As a preteen, as an adult, if fear showed up the exact same way every time, we'd combat it. We'd recognize it. Nobody in here wants to be called fearful. Nobody in here wants to be called a coward because that's what fear is. Nobody in here says, yeah, I'll take that. Cowardly. We would be ashamed of that, and we would cover that up and say, I'm not, and we would try to be, especially us dudes, would try to do manly things to show that we're not cowardly. But we see, we, we live in a society where men are under attack like never before, as husbands and as fathers, and they're crippled by fear. We live in a society where men are made out to be the goober all the time on TV and commercials. We are under attack where, where men struggle to connect with their children. They struggle to be a godly man. Why? Because fear has entered in, but it takes on many different forms. Fear doesn't manifest itself as fear all the time. So we, we strut around and we, we talk big. Had a conversation with a young man about a week ago. Toughest conversation I've ever had. And this young man said, you know, I'm out here doing grown man things. And I said, you're a little boy. You're a little boy because real men serve Jesus. Real men don't do what you're doing. You're being a little boy right now. You need to grow up. It was a tough conversation to have because the world says that's real man stuff. That's, That's macho. That's machismo, but God says, "Here's what I want you to pursue for your life." But fear has this young man so bound. But if I try to tell him, "You're afraid, you're fearful," I'm I'm... put a gun to my head. I'm afraid of nothing. I've heard it It gives me the whole big tough guy speech. I'm fearful. No man can do anything to me. Yeah, you're fearful. Because you know that God wants to take your life for his glory. What if God puts you in a pulpit someday? What if God has you leading a ministry? What if God wants you to start a small group six weeks from now? All of a sudden you can see fear. If we're talking street business, if we're talking selling some weed, if we're talking about you know throwing some guns around, this kid's cool, man. He's, he talk, he'll talk big all day. But when you talk about what if you let God have your life because you have a calling on your life and you're so fearful of that calling because you know that God is incredible enough, but you know he won't force you, then all of a sudden you see fear. And you realize that this young man is living out a false reality because fear is false evidence appearing real. He's living out a false existence because he knows there's a calling on his life. Because he knows that there's more to life than what he's doing. But the fear is, how do I submit to a God yet retain my own identity? How do I submit to God and still do the things I want to do? How do I submit to a Savior and yet continue down a road that I enjoy, that I think makes me a man, that I think makes me tough? And so fear manifests itself so many ways. John 8.44 declares that the devil is the father of lies. Revelation 12 said that Satan is an accuser of the saints. His job is to make sure you know your past. His job is to make sure that every time you're reminded of all your faults, all your failures, who your family is, who your mom was, who your dad was, why you'll be an unsuccessful person, why you can't be used, why you're no good, why you fall and fail at the same thing every day, year after year after year, to the point where you finally decide, I just have to live with it. It must be my thorn in the flesh. He's the accuser of the church. He'll remind you of every deed that you've ever failed at over and over. That's why fear keeps us out of the Word of God. Fear keeps us from praying the Word of God. Fear keeps us from standing on the Word of God that declares that by His stripes I've been healed. It declares that Jesus said at Calvary when He drew His last breath, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, he meant it was finished. That the death of sin was complete. That he had broken the back of sin. That even death, our mortal enemy, he mocked it and said, death, where's your sting? I've broken your back, death. That even death is not the end of us in Jesus Christ. But the devil will remind you. In Revelation 21 and 8, the Bible plays out this huge list, this, this list of like eight or nine items of the kind of people that will inhabit hell. It talks about idolaters. It talks about adulterers. It talks about the sexually impure or immoral. It talks about liars and murderers. But you know the first one on the list? Fearful. I'm not saying one's more important than the other. One's worse than the other. But it's just strange to me that of all of these things that we would go murder idolatry, and adultery, all of the whoo, he lists the fearful as leading the parade into hell. Because fear will keep you from even wanting to be saved. Fear will keep you in a pew when you know that today is the day of salvation. But I've talked enough about fear. And Phil, thank you for, for your prayers again. Romans 5 and 20 says that God's law was given so that man could see how sinful we were. That we could never measure up to the law. The more and more that we sinned, the Bible says that the grace of God abounded much more than sin. So don't think that fear is the beginning or even the end of your story. Because if fear is real and it is a spirit sent to destroy and to kill and to keep us bound, I promise you God has something that will beat fear every single time of the day. And that is faith. Faith and fear do not cohabitate. Faith and fear don't walk hand in hand. They can't and they won't. Even the Bible says that light has no fellowship with darkness. Faith and fear are not going to vie for your affection. Faith is the enemy. It's the antithesis of fear. Faith allows you to look at a situation that seems to be one way, but stand on the Word of God and say, but my God said, my God said that there is perfect peace. My God said that weeping might endure for an evening but joy comes in the morning. My word, the God that's been poured into me says that his mercies are new. Every morning I get up. And so when we begin to have faith, it is directly tied to the word of God. That's why reading the word of God, that's why praying the word of God is the most powerful and effective thing that you can do as a believer because the enemy will try to get you into political discourse discourse uh, and psychological discourse, uh, and it'll try to get you into which preacher on TV is better than which, and there's this new thing coming, but the Bible says uh, that the Word of God is established forever and ever, that He in the beginning, He was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He has forever given us the manual that will defeat fear every single time. We know that faith is a commodity. We know that faith is referenced as a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12. As with any gift, God gives it to those who ask. Matthew 17 and 20 says faith can move mountains. Whether that's metaphorical or physical, have at it. If you want to stare at Sugarloaf and Mount Logan and you feel them frisky, have at it. But I think there's certainly a metaphorical connotation to that because there are mountains in our lives. Am I talking to somebody? There are mountains that we continually butt heads with and eventually we just try to go around the mountain or we feel that we've got to climb the mountain. But the funny thing is we never seem to climb the mountain and put it in our rearview mirror. I swear that mountain runs ahead of us again. And the very mountain you thought you climbed and slid down and it was in your past, if we don't confront it with the word of God, and the authority of the name of Jesus, that mountain just seems to be right there again. Faith allows us to see ourselves as God sees us. Wow. That's a whole other message series. That is actually one of those like where people take notes and put them up here. I'm horrible at that. I apologize. Matthew chapter 9, my goodness, we're, we're almost out of time. Matthew chapter 9 gives us the perfect illustration. You guys ready for this? Because I, I feel there's somebody in here, Matthew chapter 9, is what you've been praying for at night. Matthew chapter 9 is what you've been saying, man, I need a word of God today to establish some things in my life to let me know that God is still on the throne, that he's still able... See, Jesus is approached by a man. First of all, Jesus is just sitting down, he's just holding court. He's just having a, he's talking, he's ministering to people. And this guy comes up and says, Jesus, my daughter's dead. I know you can come heal her. And so Jesus gets up and begins a journey to this man's house. Along the way, Everybody gathers around. See, not everybody that follows Jesus is a follower of Jesus. Not everybody that's in the crowd gets it. It's not an exclusive club in the sense of a country club. It's just some people want to come for a show. Some people just want to be part of the fad. So Jesus is walking towards this man's house. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, Who touched me? And the disciples are amazed because they say, um, and they don't give us numbers, but there are probably at a minimum several hundred people bumping into you, talking to you, pulling on your garment, trying to get your attention. He's well known as a controversial figure at this point. And he stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples, of course, can't process the spiritual depth of that. And they go, uh, everybody's touching you. And he says, I feel that virtue has left me. And we know that there was a woman with an issue. That she'd spent money and time on every doctor. But she just knew that if I can just get through the crowd and if I can just touch even the bottom or the hem of his garment... I can be healed. He doesn't have to talk to me. He doesn't have to have a discourse with me. I don't have to have dinner with him. I don't have to pay money. I don't have to be good enough. I'm filthy. I'm bleeding. I'm dirty. Nobody can help me. I know if I can just touch him that he could heal me. And he turns around and in verse 22 he says, Your faith has made you healed. Actually he says the word whole. If you look at the word whole there, it goes beyond healing. She got put back together. But he keeps going. That wasn't even why he had gotten up to leave. See, when Jesus gets up, when Jesus moves, uh, the ancillary miracles that happen when God is exalted in a place are incredible because the needs in here of so many are so varied. No one man or even group of men or, or, or elders or believers could even deal with all of our issues. Uh, but there is one that can deal with all of our stuff uh, at the very same time. And so Jesus is on his way. He heals or brings back from the dead this girl. And then two blind dudes show up. And they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And watch what he says. Jesus says, do you believe I can heal you? And they say, yes. Verse 29 gives us a glimpse into faith that I needed reminded of. And he says, according to your faith. Everybody say according to. According to is like a bad English word for in proportion. I bought my bag of Fritos. No donuts. I promised uh, Steve that I wouldn't bring an empty box of donuts. That upset him the last time. He started looking for another church. I I told him I would never do that again. And he came back. I dodged a bullet there. But probably why I didn't speak for six months. Because that was so mean. So I brought a real bag, Steve. You can have it. Um, I'm not going to eat any because they're not on my approved, you know, look look good diet here. Um, But I would love to eat them. And so these Fritos... I don't know how many are in there. It says that uh, one package is 28 grams. It doesn't tell me how many little Fritos are in here. Um, There's nothing I can do to change the amount. I can only eat the Fritos according to what's in the bag. If I'm really hungry, 15 seconds. John Ewing, I don't know how quickly it takes you to bust up a walking taco, but if I dump these out and I start eating them, eventually the bag runs empty, I'm done. I can eat in proportion to what's in the bag. Jesus looked at them and says, in proportion to your faith, you've been healed. So we know that faith wavers. We know that our faith can become weak. We know that our faith can become strong. And so we know that faith is not some just perpetual movement that we don't have to take care of. We know that faith has to be guarded. We know that faith is something that is in proportion to or according to. There are times in my life where my faith isn't very strong. That's why circles are better than rows. That's why... Somebody pours into me when my faith is weak and they pour into me the word of God. They'll pray for me in a back room and say, listen, here's what the word of God is telling me to tell you because you're too weak right now to get the answer for yourself. Let me as your brother, let me as your friend, let me step in the gap for you and deliver you a word or a kind gesture, but let me deliver you what the word of God says that you are A son and an heir of Christ Jesus. Let me tell you that if you feel like you're in last, the last shall be first. Let me tell you that just in case you forgot that he died on a cross so that you could forever be free from the burden of sin in your life. Well, I'm addicted and I, and I have no faith. Well, let me remind you that addiction does not distress Jesus. Uh, that addiction does not distress our Lord and Savior. That there is healing for addiction. There is salvation for those who will call on the name of the Lord. He is not dismayed or bothered or upset by all of our maladies and issues. Uh, but we know that faith can be weak and that our faith can be made strong again. So let's get real for just a minute. Uh, not, that I, not that we've been being fake together, but... It's something preachers say. It's been real. Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says that to the believers, we walk by faith, not by sight. There's a reason for that. If faith kills fear, if faith conquers fear, if I walk in faith, if I live in faith, then I truly believe that my children are going to come to God someday. But if I walk by sight, the evidence shows me that they're getting worse and worse. That their end and their destruction is at hand. We're all victims of walking by sight. That's why we call it a walk of faith, right? We call it a journey of faith. We say these things, but we sometimes need reminded what the Bible says. It says that I can't walk by sight because you know what sight does? Sight gives me a false evidence appearing real. Even like the little boy blind from birth that the Bible gives us an illustration of. I've used it before. I just don't know where I've used it. This young man comes to Jesus and he says, I've been blind from birth. The disciples start talking and they say, well, who sinned? To make him blind? Was it him or his parents? Because blindness is a bad thing. It's not good. Nobody signs up to be visually impaired. Nobody says, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. So somebody must have goofed. And Jesus looks at this individual and says, You were made blind from birth, also that the Son of Man can receive glory. And then he heals him. And that little boy growing up in a society not handled and not equipped to handle blindness would have been made fun of, had less opportunities, probably didn't receive schooling, probably had to beg, probably had been given away. You don't know, but it wouldn't have been good. And Jesus says, just so that someday I could receive glory from your life. You were blind. Nobody sinned. We try to figure things out when we walk by sight. faith allows me to look at something and say you're not going to take me out devil my marriage is on the rocks everything points to no resolution everything points to disaster And if I begin to walk by sight that will be the eventual end but there's faith it kicks in and faith can look at a situation no matter how broken no matter how disastrous no matter how broken somebody is no matter how shattered somebody's life is faith can look at that and say but the word of God says and I just had to come today and I had to declare that Hebrews 11 and 6 says it's impossible to please God without faith I want to be pleasing to him. I have to have faith. And there are people in here that fear has you. You're gripped by it right now. You thought it was just an anger issue. You thought it was just jealousy. You thought... But the enemy always gets exposed by the word of God. The word of God says that we are more than conquerors. We even get to be heirs, join heirs with Christ, Jesus. He says, I'm a child of a God who is holy. He says that I've given you a spirit of adoption whereby you can cry, Dad. (laughs) Beautiful thing about adoption is always this always like to say this. When you're adopted, it's on purpose. When you're adopted, you've been chosen. You can be born, trust me. My my mom might even admit I was the the what-the-heck baby. I was the I thought we were done with kids. Oh, crud. Guess we're working longer. You can be born on accident in that sense when you're adopted there is a choosing there is a decision that says everything that I have you have the same rights as any other of my children whether they be natural or adopted adopted kids don't get less of the pie and we get to say he'll adopt me but I'm broken he'll adopt you he'll give you the spirit And that's not a spirit of fear because the Bible says he's not giving us that. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast and ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.